Hey there, I'm Ian. And I'm Rachel. And we want to welcome you to our Building Contenders podcast. Here we share messages, sermons, and our weekly conversations to equip you to contend for the kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy it. Blessings. church gathers. I don't know if you know that, but the church actually gathers. We don't meet in Starbucks. We don't have this weird ecclesiology of I don't need to gather. We actually gather. It's why we're called a congregation. Is because we congregate. Yes. Yes. Very good. Right? <laughs> I know it's, it's mind-blowing to some people that the church needs to gather because, you know, there is this weird thing that's out there that's like, you know, well, the church, we're the church. I don't need to come to church on a Sunday because I'm the church and it's absolute nonsense. If you if you want to overcome an enemy, you just need to divide them and make sure they don't come together as well. That's really simple. That's a really you know, simple, straightforward enemy tactic. And we're called the Ecclesia or the Congregation. And it's actually in the congregating that we govern. Um, it's it's not sitting on. It's not dispersing. And I've, I've listen. I've had people tell me that the, the model of church is twelve people because Jesus picked twelve people, and it's like I that's, that's kind of some of that's kind of the most ridiculous theology that you can come across is that the reason picked twelve. The reason Jesus picked twelve people was as the model for how the church should be in the future. It's just it's just crazy. The number 12 is just so significant. There's the 12 tribes of Israel. Have you ever wondered why there's 12 tribes of Israel? Why is there 12? Why is 12 important? Anyone? Bueller? <laughs> You're like, why is 12 important? We, we know it's important, but why is it important? Because scripture doesn't tell us why it's important, but why is 12 important? That will be for another time. So, um, I, 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 want, I, want you to, I want you to stand with me for, for a moment, just. I want you to just stand with me, and I want you to, I want you to ask yourself this question before the Lord. Am I prepared to change? Like really, are you, like I want you to be honest with the Lord, are you prepared to change? Of course, we all know the answer is, well, yes, Jesus. But what if it requires something that you don't really want to give? What if, what if you're so committed to some of the beliefs that you have that it's resulted in your stuckness? Are you prepared to change? So Father, I just pray that, that we would be humble enough to accept that, that what God is here won't get us there. That what has brought us to this place in our life will no longer serve us and, and that we would repent for the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is at hand that we would change 
everything we believe. One of the translators says, I'm going to need you to change everything you believe because the kingdom is right here. I want you to let that sink in. If the kingdom is right here, then what do we need to believe for that to manifest? Not some new age manifesting kind of thing. They actually show up. Jesus said the kingdom is within you. It's not waiting for something else to happen, but you have to repent. Just repeat this after me. Father, Father I give you permission, I give you permission to, change to change my thinking, to align it with heaven, and see your kingdom come right here, right now, in Jesus' name. Okay, thank you. There's a, there's a lot of teaching on identity. I don't, don't know if you've noticed this, but there's been a lot of teaching on identity over the years, and I've even done it. And some of it's been good, and some of it's been less than good. And one of the things that I've come to realize is that our identity is generally not changed except through repentance. That the, the, the minute I accept a version of myself that I don't really believe, that it's, it's going to not work well for me. So what we get is we get, you know, I'm a child of God. Huh. I'm a son of God. Yay, but nothing actually changes. So that everything is in conflict with what I'm saying. Or what, I, what I'm telling people that I believe. And as a result, instead of being able to like look at myself in a mirror and realize this needs change, I, I end up saying, I'm perfect just the way I am and there's songs about that even within mainstream culture you, you don't need to change anything about you because you're perfect in every way uh, listen we celebrated our 34th wedding anniversary this week if you need if you need any proof that I'm not perfect in every way I would ask you to consult my my wife anybody else in long-term relationships we kind of know, kind of know we're not perfect. But yet, it seems to me the only way I can feel better about myself is that if I say I'm perfect. But I don't need to change. There's nothing about me needs to change. And as a result, we have, we have society in a bit of a mess in many ways because we're not really addressing any change. Because we can't even look at this change. We, you know, we work with leaders, we, and, and a lot of them are exactly the same as everybody else is, that you can't actually address, I can't look 
at anything and say, hey, this needs to change without the whole notion of shame. And anxiety and low self-esteem and low self-worth and, and and that we, we need to get beyond that right we need to get to beyond that and say it's actually okay that you're human <laughs> it's, it's okay that you're not perfect and, and it's okay that you're not perfect in every way it, it's okay and it's okay that life has sometimes dealt you a bad hand. It's, it's okay. It hasn't been great, but, it, but it's okay. Because this is what Jesus came to do. That, that those that are well don't need a physician. It's only those of us that recognize that we're in need that, that we need Jesus. In fact, that's kind of been like the great evangelism tool for the last 30 years is convincing people of their need for Jesus. Yeah. Right? Let me convince you how sick you are when people are going, I don't feel sick, life's good, it's all it's all awesome, right? So anyway, th this is how development happens. That I, I wish I had a graphic, but I wasn't going to show this, but you know, hopefully it will always work. Um, what, what we do is we generally have a belief about something or some kind of thinking about that. That belief affects our speech. Like what we say out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? And the heart wasn't your feelings. Just to be clear, that's the, the heart in, in, uh, in Jewish culture wasn't the place of your feelings. Your gut was the place of your feelings. The heart was the, the, the foundation of your thinking. Um, so out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So you have this beliefs, thinking, and then you have it results in speech. Out of the speech, the speech directs your, your actions. And your actions then dictate your behavior, and it's your behavior that informs your identity. That's, that's how we work. You'll notice there's no mention of feelings in there whatsoever. So if I start to think a thing, start to speak a thing, that will result in my actions around that thing, that will result in my behavior, that will result, result in my identity. There is a devilish, satanic conspiracy going on in the United States and further afield right now. Would you like to know what it is? It is that you believe that you are a victim to everything that has happened to you. In the Garden of Eden, remember, God decided, hey, let us make man and women and be fruitful and multiply and govern the earth, dominion, whatever it is you want to do. But that, that's, kind of, that's kind of the plan of God. Now, did God need to do that? No. But he chose to do it. He actually chose Adam and Eve. And what happens in this conspiracy led by the, the person that we would call the devil is that the devil thought that God's, that Yahweh's idea was stupid. And as a result, what he did was he, he said that these are made of dirt. From the very outset, that the devil's conspiracy 
has been to convince you that you and other people are dirt. Whereas God's saying, yeah, we're made out of clay. We're made out of clay. And so, so yeah, we're made out of clay. And the devil's going, but they're just made out of clay. And God's going, yeah, they're made out of clay. Devil says, oh, they're just made out of clay. The difference is one of them is celebrating something. Yahweh is celebrating what he has done. And the devil himself has nothing but contempt for who you are. And if the devil can convince you to have contempt for other people, guess what happens is that they will have contempt for you. And we live in this contemptuous nature where there's always other and those others are simply dirt. So then, then what you what you get in the story, what you get is, hey, you know what? God doesn't want you to know who you are. <gasps> what? He's afraid of you. <gasps> no way. So they take, you know, they, they take the fruit, whatever it was, might be a pomegranate. Nothing attractive about a pomegranate, but <laughs> Better option than an apple, I don't know, but they, they take the fruit, and what's their first response? Their first response is, well, not their first response, but their first response is, like, oh, no clothes on. Um, and then they go on to, you know, what, what happened to you, and what does Adam say? What does Adam say? It is the woman that you gave me. Not my fault. I have no responsibility in this whatsoever. None whatsoever. It's the woman's fault. And don't forget that you give me the woman. I am but a victim of circumstances. And here you have the response to the contempt that is part of this global conspiracy of the devil and his agents and his malevolent spirits that are with them is to make us victims to our circumstances instead of like Yahweh's intent which is to say no no I have actually caused you to govern circumstances my command for you is to govern circumstances but you don't know the trouble I've had and you don't know how hard it's been and, and you're absolutely right I don't nor do you know my story we don't know each other's story. But the minute I say, but you don't know my story, I am then saying, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. I have accepted an identity that someone else has given me. I have embraced an identity that says I am less than, I am incapable of, because I'm broken and I'm dirty. It is a global conspiracy. And the whole time God is saying, actually, Adam and Eve, sons of Adam and Eve, daughters of Adam and, Adam and Eve, I have called you to govern, and to even govern yourself. The fruit of the Spirit is self-governance. That's what the word control means. It means that you can govern yourself. 
but you don't know. No, you're right, but I know that this is actually the will of God for your life, yeah. is that he has caused you to govern yourself. But it's been really hard, and it, no, I get it. Like, I 100% get it. But the minute I embrace an identity that someone has given me through a diagnosis, Through abuse, through telling me that I can't because of the color of my skin, my ethnicity, my ethnicity, or my gender, I'm embracing something that is not the will of God. I have chosen to follow after another God. You see, the will of God for your life is that you would govern you and govern the earth. And yes, that means that you have to take responsibility for doing it. Come on. Come on. Amen. You, you know, let me ask you a question. This is not rhetorical. And it's not philosophical. So hopefully that makes sense. Did God build an ark? How many people think God built an ark? Who built the ark? The Lord told Noah to build him an arky arky. Did God have anything to do with building the ark? What was his role? Dimensions. plans, dimensions, all that. Listen. God's job in building the ark was to create wood. He built the trees way before he built the, he'd give the dimensions. Like we, we sit here and go, oh God, oh God, you probably didn't see this coming, but you know, uh, this is, I'm having a hard time. God's like, I created trees for this. Like long before anything that you've come up with is a way to say, um, I can't do this. God has provided trees. Something. He's brought something into your life. Something into your realm. Something into your world that will provide a way for you to do, do what it is you're supposed to be doing. But he's not going to do it for you. Listen, I, 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 some of you have been to our house. And at the top of our house, we have this gazebo. And in the gazebo, I, I go. I go into the gazebo every night. And I am with the Lord, and sometimes it's, it's an amazing experience, and sometimes it's a discipline. Right? Like any other relationship. Sometimes the relationship is just simply, well, I'm, I'm in this, and that's, this is what I do. I hang out with my kids, even though they're monsters. <laughs> Sorry, our kids are not Please clarify. Please. But you know what I mean. Sometimes relationships are relationships. We're married 34 years. It's been amazing and it's been average. Right? It's amazing and then there's days it's just like, okay. That's right. Yeah. Um, so. I mean, I don't know if that's your experience. But, you know, <laughs> 
Chris Pratt is probably gonna fall in me as I. I don't know how to do it. 
Like, I just don't know how to do this, and I don't know how to steward this well, and I realize that you're calling me this, but I don't even feel that I'm worth, I feel that I'm dirt. Because I have followed the words of other gods. And meanwhile, the word of Yahweh is coming, but this is how I see it. This is what I see. This is who you are. This is your identity in me. And you're kind of going, yeah, but I know who I am. And it's like, no, 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 you don't. You know who they say you are, but you don't know Come who on. you are. And resolving that who you are is our fundamental problem and the conspiracy that's going on and if I can convince you that you are nothing that you're dangerous that you're hopeless that you got nothing to offer then you'll never govern never govern let me read First Samuel 30. Then it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amal like David's a fascinating character, and, and that I, I feel tempted to get into the background, but I won't get into it um, I won't get into it fully. But you know that David had three three like anointings? Mm-hmm. You think that that bit you know, you think that that bit was enough? The prophet of God coming and saying, the future king. That would be enough. But it wasn't enough. Because he had to be anointed, and then he had to be anointed, and then he, he was then anointed in Ziklag, and then he had to be anointed in Jerusalem, finally. Like, it was this progression. At any point, he could have decided, I'm going to follow after other gods. I'm going to believe what my brothers say about me. Why does he always have to fight your brothers first? Really? Why do we have to fight like our brothers? It's almost like people out there don't care about the church the one, not that the church, but there's some grumpy people in the church and bitter people in the church that don't want you to be amazing because if you then become amazing, what am I? So David had three anointings. David and his men came to Ziklag the third day that the Amalekites had carried out an attack on the Negev and Ziklag and overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they took captive the women and all who were in it from the small to the great without killing anyone and drove them off and went their way. When David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire and their wives, their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. Now David's two wives had been taken captive. Um, Also David was in great distress because the people spoke of stoning him, for all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. But David felt strengthened in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abathar the priest, the son of uh, that guy, please bring me the ephod. So Abathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this band of raiders? Will I overtake them? And he said to him, Pursue, for you will certainly overtake them, and you will certainly rescue everyone. So David left, he and the 600 men who were with him, 
and they came to the brook Besor, where some who were left behind stayed. But David pursued he and 400 men, for 200 were too exhausted to cross the brook, and they stayed behind. They were too exhausted. Remember, the 400 that went were just exhausted. But the 200 were too exhausted. They'd just come back from a battle. Everything had been torn away from them, robbed of them. Is this your life? Like, has there been those times when in your life that what you've done is you have, you have decided to make do? I have decided to make do with what I have left because it's been taken away from me. It's been stolen. This person came into my life. They did stuff to me, with me, about me that has resulted in me being this. And I'm just going to make do. You see, well, one of the lies in, in this sort of like thing is that we're all victims. Right? This is the great conspiracy is if I can get you to be a victim to that diagnosis, to that belief about yourself, that thing that happened to you in your history, then great, the enemy has won. But what God is saying is like, I want you to pursue and you will you will overtake and you will recover all. Now, I, I believe with all my heart, I mean, we run with the Bethel guys, and this is a word that's coming out from Bethel at the minute, is that this is the season we're in. We're in a season of actually pursuing, overtaking, and recovering all. And even those of you that are too exhausted to go all the way, you're going to get all the spoils as well. Because, you know, God is in the business of creating wood to build an ark. God has actually prepared things for you. Now we can't wait on God doing anything. No one coming to stone the heretic. We are not waiting on God doing anything. We cannot wait on God doing anything. The word of the Lord is pursue, overtake and recover all and that has never been rescinded. The word of the Lord is be fruitful and multiply and govern this earth. That has never been rescinded. It has been opposed. Yeah. It has 100% been opposed. That you would just sit on. Take your place. Society has deemed that you will never be what you were called to be. Therefore, you're going to need the help of all society. Meanwhile, you will never govern. And you're called to govern. You're called to overcome. Okay, I want, I want to address the waiting on God. You should wait on God because some of you will not get that because it sounds contrary to everything that you've been taught. Waiting on God is a tool of the enemy. No lightning. Okay, we're good. 
Go into all the world and preach the gospel. When did he say, but when? No. The Apostle Paul decided he was going to go into, you know, India, I think it was. Um, and the Lord stopped him. Because the Lord can do that. I don't know if you know him. He's kind of big. Bigger than me. He can kind of do that sort of thing. If you decide that you're going to get, you know, rear skis. Probably not a saying you use that much here in San Diego. But, you know, if you decide you're going to get ahead of yourself, then God can absolutely... You know, stop you doing that. But it won't be like, oh! It'll be like, oh no, I, I don't want you to die. That's good. I don't want you to do that. Mm. Right? So, so we've been told to go, and most of us are still living on a go word. So, so that means like taking up this responsibility and actually pursuing. Pursuing is never passive. It's like, what do I need to change? What am I thinking? Hey, if I'm a, if my identity is this, that I'm waiting on God opening a door. Listen, God has opened all the doors. Right. In the same way that He built an ark, He has opened all the doors. He's made all those ways possible. All you have to do is like walk in it. And for some of us, listen, some of us are going to have to deal with the fact that we've been passive for forty years. And need to repent from that rather than holding on to that passivity and saying, well, it was good enough then, I'm going to die in my complete ungoverning state. Does that, does that make sense? Like, rather than being committed to our dysfunction, we need to change. And stop making excuses for God. Like, stop it. He doesn't need you to make excuses. Well, you know, the Lord must have other plans. You know, he never gives us anything that we're not able to endure. Absolute godless heresy. First of all, God didn't give you anything hard. The enemy did. People did. The world, the flesh, and the devil did. But it wasn't from God. Well, God's not going to give you anything. So we have to let a bunch of this stuff go. And that means realizing that if we're to walk in the fullness of our identity, we probably should start to think better, speak better, our actions should be better, our behavior should be better, and it all informs this thing called our identity. Let me talk to you about it. Needed 
to acquire the things we long for. Now faith brings our hopes into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. Faith is the substance of things in order to walk in faith. Like God has required all of us to walk by faith. Well, I, you know, do you know one of the things I love about the non-charismatic Christians is they're not looking for a prophetic word all the time so that they, they have to actually move by faith. Like they have to live by faith because they're not looking for further evidence. Whereas sometimes it feels like in the charismatic world we're like babies and we're looking for more confirmation. But what do you think? What do you think? Am I, am I a prophet? I don't know. I don't know. What, do you, what am I doing? Uh, what do you think? What's the Lord saying? Was the Lord saying anything else? Right? Is the Lord saying anything? Is the Lord saying to you right now? Did he say anything to you this morning? Did he say anything to you this morning about me? <laughs> Repent. <laughs> Repent. Right? Because what, what we've done is we, you know, I love the Please, I love the prophetic. We, I won't go into it. We, we love the prophetic. We train, we all that, but we love the prophetic. But we can't use it as a as a means to build faith. But we can use it as a means to build hope. Yes, it's good. Like the prophetic exists to actually bring hope into our lives. This is what the Lord would say to you today, that it is not too late to do everything that he has planned for you to accomplish. It is not going to be too late. In the kingdom of God, what we have is we have got a multi-generational revival movement. On. One of the things that you'll hear is that, you know, revival's coming, it's great, it's with Gen Y, it's with Gen Like, great, it won't last. Anything that's done, like, with one generation won't last. Because in, in Acts chapter 2, the mark, the biggest revival that started and continues to this day was multi-generational. It was young men who were able to prophesy. And it was old men who were able to dream dreams. Like even the relationship between those two becomes really important. So when you've excluded yourself because you're too old, you're too sick, you're too dull, you don't have enough. The word of the Lord is like you've got to stir up this whole thing because you can't summon up faith without hope. You're not going to have any faith without hope. And hope that is built in the fiery furnace of delay and some bad circumstances and the enemy coming against you and building this perseverance, that's the hope that Romans 5 tells us will never disappoint. It's that hope that is forged in fire. And it's a hope that doesn't make us passive. It's a hope that says, okay, okay, I'm very hopeful, so I'm going to learn how to do this. I'm going to learn how to write a book. Some of us are like, some of us are, well, I got a prophetic word that I'm going to write a book. Okay. <laughs> And we're waiting on what? We're waiting on the Holy Spirit coming down and do this remote writing thing, which is indeed how scripture was written. But like we're waiting on him like downloading everything. No, no, it's work. I, I would argue that being a king of Israel is work. Yeah. For David. Sounds amazing, right? I'm gonna be the king. 
So good, I am going to be the king. Look at me, I'm the king. It's a lot of work. A lot of work to walk in, in the fullness you're calling. A lot of that work is going to be in here. A lot of that work is going to be in here adjusting your thinking to actually the sort of thinking that you need to have in order to execute what you need to execute. Because you'll resist everything so that you never have to change. It's what we do. But here's the bit that I love. I don't have it underlined. Just let me see if I can find it. Hebrews 11, verse 32. And what more could I say to convince you? For there's not enough time to tell you the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Through faith's power, like you understand that faith has a power, like the power of faith, the power of actually being hope-filled enough that you believe this will happen. Right? This is the this is the word faith itself. Is you got that hope, that energizing hope, that hope that does not disappoint. And what happens is that everything, if you embrace the identity from another kingdom, you're gonna have that hope eroded. The minute you believe you're dirt, you will have that hope eroded. The minute you believe you're unsavable then you'll have no hope because you're believing the words of another God. Through faith's power they conquered kingdoms. Listen. Through faith's power they conquered kingdoms and established true justice. Their faith fastened onto their promises and pulled them into reality. Like this is like God. This is like the writer of Hebrews telling you how this works, right? This how, how your kind of life works. Like you've got these promises, you've got these promises, these prophetic words, and because of this unwavering hope that is being forged in fire, that you believe that this is assured, and you fasten that onto your promise, and you actually pull it into reality. It was faith that shut the mouths of lions, put out the power of raging fire, and caused many to escape certain death by the sword. Although weak, their faith imparted, imparted power to make them strong. Now all of you Bible people should immediately think one of the ways that faith is activated is by speech. <laughs> like speech. I am... I am a child <laughs> probably doesn't mean a lot but if you start to put faith behind that if you start to put this sort of hope that does not disappoint that, that results in faith and you start to put your words behind that it, it sounds a little bit different than yes. I'm a child But we've been conditioned, some of us have been conditioned for 40 years, 50 years, 60 years on speaking over ourselves 
the words of other gods. The words of systems that seek to control and not to empower. Because it's time for the weak to say they're strong, not believe they're strong. Right, not believe they're strong. Like, you know, your belief will come, but it's not time for the weak to believe they're strong. Because that, that has to be a journey. But it is time my journey begins with the weak saying that they're strong. Rather than coming into constant agreement with the words of other gods. Faith sparked courage within them, and they became mighty warriors in battle, pulling armies from another realm. sparked courage within them, they became mighty warriors in battle, pulling armies from another realm into battle array. And, and it references, uh, Brian Simmons references Judges chapter 7, 16, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 7 and chapter 16, verses 19 to 30. Although most translate this causing enemy armies to flee, the Greek is literally, this is literally in the Greek, wheeling ranks drawn up in battle order ranks which belonged to another. The implication is that through their faith, angelic warriors wheeled into battle formation, ready to fight with them yeah. Yeah, come on. in battle. Mm-hmm. Your faith has the ability to pull on armies from another realm. Come on. Like the ability to do it, that, that means you're not like faith, you know, faith is never dead. James talks about dead faith which is a faith with no works attached. Like faith is this active thing. If I am really hopeful and my hope is alive that something's gonna happen, then I have to attach my faith to it and that faith is demonstrated through works. So if God has called you to write a book, that faith that, that, well, that faith is demonstrated by works, I gotta do this. Oh, do I wanna do it? Do I know how to do it? Do I know? No, I gotta do it. That's how faith is manifest. Your faith is manifest. If you want to, if you want, listen, the angelic is willing to come and help whatever you need them to do, but they're activated by your works. Your faith-filled works, not by sitting on our blessed assurances, waiting on God to do something, because God did something already. I don't know if you know this, but the most central event, the central event, in all of history, past, future, and present, is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. His life, his birth, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension on high. That's the central event in all of humanity. Jesus did it and told you to go. That means when we're stopped, when we're delaying, we have to examine in here to say, am I believing with? Am I saying alongside? Do my actions correlate with? Is my behavior like the foundation of? Is my behavior is the foundation of my behavior the fact that I believe the words of another God? Because God has said, "Go." God has said, "I've given you everything you need for now, and you're going to grow as you start to walk." But your faith that will attract 
angel armies, armies from another realm, will be activated when you take your first step and your second step. And then you come across that boulder. And then you go, well, Jesus, would you just remove the boulder? And Jesus said, no, why don't you remove the boulder? Or find a way over. Or find a way around. Because I have empowered you to be fruitful, multiply, and govern the earth. Let's stand. So God, I pray that you would show us the wood, show us the trees, show us those things that you have prepared that we would walk in the fullness of everything you have called us to walk in. God, I pray that we would be bold, bold as lions. And God, I pray that we would understand the moment we hear the words of another God. Yes. Small g. And that we would learn to bring every thought into captivity. Not coming from a place of, I hope I'm good enough. But coming from a place of, I know who I am and who I am. I know who I belong to. I know what my father says about me. He is not annoyed. He's not angry. And that he's made a way for me to walk in the fullness. So God, I pray that we would have that. Lord, even those of us that are exhausted. <laughs> and even those of us that are too exhausted that we'd be free to just sit down and realize that we're going to read anyway. But those of us that, that, that understand that sometimes the throne comes through pursuit. Sometimes the road to the throne comes through pursuit and that your word for us is that you you shall overtake and recover all. So Lord bless us that the nations would know Bless us that the nations would know what kind of God you are. That you're good and that your love endures forever.